This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Good evening, faithful listeners. You are on the Spirit Lounge with Rachel, Claudine and Mark every Thursday night between 8 and 9. And a big thank you to Steph and Clayton and their special guests for standing up straight tonight. We have tonight our round two of frequently asked questions and the reason why we decided to go for round two was we got a very very good message through close to the end of our show last week from Michelle asking a question that we couldn't answer in the short period of time we had left and we wanted to share the question a bit with Mark who is back with us tonight he stopped listening to the symphony orchestra I have indeed I've come back Cultured, perhaps. Very good. So your influence in tonight's show may may be heightened by your cultural... Well, you, you could say that it was a spiritual event. It was um, reflective of Catholic society in part of the world, perhaps. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so you could say it might have been a spiritual event. But I think we're talking about the Godfather. We are talking right, about the Godfather, <laughs> yes, that's right. So. <laughs> the Godfather Symphony Orchestra. No, the Godfather played by the Sympathy Orchestra. That's what I meant to say. (laughs) That sounds great. Okay, so the question that Michelle asked us that we couldn't get done in the last 10 minutes of last week was, is the Passover the Jewish Easter or vice versa? And is Hanukkah the Jewish Christmas? And why or why not? I can see why you couldn't cover that in a few minutes. It's kind of, it's a really good question. It's probably a, a very frequently asked question, actually, but it's a complicated question. Um, the answer is no. But, to both. To both. To both. But I think I'll, I'll explain a little bit about why I would say no because this is Hanukkah and Christmas, which. I might start with Hanukkah and Christmas because it's a little bit easier to talk about in terms of well, why is it a no? Whereas Passover and Easter, there is a lot of connection about, but it's different. So, I can tell you why I think Hanukkah and Christmas are the same thing, is I used to watch the Disney Channel and the Amanda show. There was a segment and they'd always go, Happy Hanukkah, because it was a Christmas segment. And I just thought that that was just what Jewish people said at Christmas time. So there is a lot of confusion around it, thanks to the Amanda show. Absolutely. Who's Amanda? Amanda Bynes. Can we write to her and tell her... Uh, no, she's probably not in a good mental state to write to at the moment. So we'll, we will okay. leave the discussions to Mark to tell us why Hanukkah is not Jewish Christmas. So why Hanukkah is not Jewish Christmas. So um, in some, some ways uh, it's interesting that you say, well, isn't that what Jews say at Christmas? Well, and sometimes, sometimes at Christmas Jews would say Happy Hanukkah, which is an Americanism. Most Jews would probably say something like Good Yonta for Hug Sameach, which we say for all holidays by and large but anyhow but the reason why i say hanukkah and christmas are not the same thing so it's not the jewish version of christmas is that they're actually quite different in what they mean for both faith groups um they're probably the simple commonality if you want to boil it down to it is that they're both festivals at light of light celebrated at winter solstice so if you look at the symbolism of Christmas, it's a lot about lights and all that sort of stuff. For Hanukkah, it's, we have nine lights on the last night. So it's about that very, um, it's about light. So that's, that's probably all they've got in common, to be honest. Wow. Um, and it's a celebration. And it's a celebration. 
Um, Hanukkah is a minor Jewish festival. So there's, um, in the Jewish world, if most festivals would have what we call a yontif, which literally means good day, or yom tov is the Hebrew. Yontif is actually Yiddish. Um, and that's a day of rest. So it's like Shabbat the Sabbath. So no work. Um, Orthodox Jews wouldn't light a fire. They wouldn't use their cars. Um, Masordi and progressive Jews would certainly drive and do all those sorts of things, but it wouldn't work. And we don't talk about money and we don't talk about work. It's that sort of stuff. But Hanukkah has none of that. It's a minor festival. It's not in any of the... Um, it's not in the Torah, which is the five major books of Judaism. It's not in the Tanaka, which is the closest thing you'll get to a Jewish Bible. It's quite a late festival, so it um, comes quite late in the piece, and it celebrates quite a late event. So it's the, it, it celebrates the Maccabean Revolt in uh, six, uh, 163 BCE, roughly. Let's go with that. I think that's about <laughs> right off the top of my head. Um, so the story of the Maccabean Revolt is... Um, the Romans had decided to... Uh, the, the Greeks were controlling Jerusalem at the time. They'd taken the, the Jewish temple and had put up Greek gods and turned it into a bit of a Greek worship centre. Um, the Maccabeans revolted, rededicated the temple, and the Romans reinstated, basically allowed the Jews to to go back to practising in the temple in, in terms of Jewish belief. So we're talking about Jerusalem and, and that temple. So that's that's the story of Hanukkah. It's a minor festival. It's probably got a lot of celebrations to do with um, the large North American Jewry wanting something to counterbalance Christmas. Yeah. Um, and so that's why it gets lots of... It's quite well known. <clears throat> Christmas, on the other hand, is um, the second most significant holiday of the Christian calendar. It celebrates the birth of Jesus. Um, it's a big... It's a really big to-do. It's probably become a little bit bigger because of the secular elements. And, you know, it's certainly a time for people to go home. It's probably more so than Easter to go home, even though it's theologically and and religiously not as significant as Easter. But it's certainly got all that sort of elements. Whereas Hanukkah, we don't even stop work, basically. Um, On the Saturday, on on the Shabbat, the Sabbath that falls during the period of Hanukkah, it goes for eight days. Um, That's called that has a special reading for Hanukkah, but it's no its no more than that. There's no special services. There's no nothing. So in terms of, is it the Jewish Christmas? Well, no, it's totally different. It's its not in its symbolism and its meaning and its importance is totally different. So in terms of dates, how far apart is Hanukkah and Christmas in, in their celebration dates? Well, because the, the Jewish calendar is lunar and the secular calendar is... It's kind how, of a bit of a hybrid model. How many days in the Jewish calendar? Uh, it depends on what year you're talking uh, about. Okay. Um, and so so it's Hanukkah complicated. doesn't. So it doesn't necessarily fall at no. at Christmas time no. each year. Well, no. it's around the same time. It's just not necessarily the same date in the secular calendar. That's right. But it's still around that. Yeah. Solstice time of year. It, it well, it can run from anything from early-ish November. Oh. Right oh, through up until late December. Oh, so that is quite a lot of variation. So there is a fair bit of variation. Like last year we had, as if people who listen to the Spirit Lounge, we did the um, Hanukkah and um, uh, I'm trying to think, Festivus show along with Christmas on yeah, Christmas. Christmas. But so, when was, was, and that I was can't Hanukkah. remember now. That was, was it actually Hanukkah That was actually at Hanukkah time. at yeah. the time. So 
Um, because it goes for eight days, you get a bit of variation. So, um, so that's why Hanukkah it does move around, and that and that's part of the Jewish calendar's interaction with the secular calendar. So sometimes they fall together, sometimes they don't. They sort of occur at the same time. The one thing that probably makes it a little bit more prominent and why people sort of a little bit like, oh, it must be the Jewish Christmas is, you know, this, this tradition of Christmas trees. Most people have a Christmas tree that they like to put in their window, you know, it, it, and light it up. And people drive, you know, you can drive around, look at the Christmas decorations, you know, all that sort of stuff. Well, in the Jewish tradition... For Hanukkah, we're commanded to put up what we call a Hanukkah, which is a nine-tier mm-hmm. candelabra. So it has nine candles on it. And that's also in the window? And that's also in the window. Mm-hmm. The commandment is that you should, it should be visible from outside the house. Now, in the Melbourne community, which is what we would call very, a very Ashkenazi community, so a very northern European community, the, the candelabra, the, the Hanukkah is kept inside the house. If you went to other parts of the world where they're more Sephardi, which is a Spanish, that part of the world, Southern North, European, North African community, their tradition is to actually have the Hanukkah outside the house. Wow. Um, so, and so that's a visible sign. So people say, "Oh, look, they've got their Jewish candle for for their Jewish Christmas thing." And we've got our Christmas trees, so, <laughs> so you can see why it's easy to see why people get confused and, and mix up the two. But it's it's important. But so that's that's Hanukkah and Christmas. I think what we'll do is take a break. Yes. Yeah, so that was the easy question, and that was the song "Jesu" by Gurumul. And you're on the Spirit Lounge on Joy ninety four point nine. We thought we'd talk a bit more about the. We often play a few um, songs that may be of some significance, but we don't. We sometimes rush through them, so. From this week, we'll just be saying a bit more about the songs that we've chosen for each show. Jeffrey Gurumul Yungpingu is a Yongnu man from Elko Island off the coast of Arnhem Land in the Northern Territory. And this song, Jezu, is from the Gospel album, his third studio album. As a small boy, Gurumul was not only influenced by the traditional music of his clan, but by the gospel music he heard every Sunday at the local Methodist church. This album is a reimagining of the spiritual songs that came to Northeast Arnhem Land via Christian missionaries. Gurumul's been in the news recently after he was allegedly left to bleed in an emergency department for eight hours, and um, he was in a critical condition after that. But he's now recovering and has been released from, from hospital. So, our best wishes to Gurumul and our hope and prayers for better justice for indigenous people in this country definitely yeah yeah so we've been talking we've been answering michelle's questions that she, questions that she posed right at the very end of last week's show which was is passover the jewish easter or vice versa and is hanukkah the jewish christmas and why why not so i've answered the first excuse me the first question which is um is hanukkah the jewish christmas and it's not which is actually the easier to to answer so is well, my I would I would actually want to pose this as is Easter the Christian version of Passover, since Passover came first historically. Well, that's a good question, and, and to some degree, you could possibly argue yes. Um, yeah, you could argue yes. So, um, I think it's good to sort of think about well. What's Easter about? What's its meaning? And then let's have a look at Passover. What's its meaning? And do the two marry up? And why are the two inexplicitly linked? So 
Easter and Passover do occur at the same time. Not always the same, but at similar times of the year once again. This year is a great case in point where Easter was, what, a four two weeks ago? Yeah, two ago. weeks ago. Isn't that terrible? Um, and Passover's not for another couple of weeks. Passover's not for another yeah, couple so of weeks. Yeah, so it's about a month and month So there's about a month and a part. Whereas last year, same with Christmas, Passover and Easter lined perfectly up. And for those of us that are Jewish, it was kind of nice because we actually had public holidays for the start of Passover, which kind of worked <laughs> it well. It doesn't usually happen. Yeah. It doesn't usually happen, but, you know, it kind of worked well. So let's, have a, let's, let's think about Easter. So Easter is um, the big Christian festival of the calendar. It's the big, the big do. Um, it's the celebration of... Resurrection. The resurrection. New life. New life, it's beginning, it's redemption, um, it's Jesus establishing the Christian covenant as part of the Last Supper, which is important, and we'll get to why the Last Supper is important in just a minute. Um, so it's about new beginnings, and it's celebrated through new beginnings. Eggs is a great, you know, that's the start of life, that sort of new beginning. I know that takes in other parts of other festivals, but it's, it's about that new life and, and picks up that sort of stuff. So that's what Easter's about. It is the big festival for the Christian community. It goes over several days, so it has lots of that sort of, um, that's what happens. So Passover, or Pesach, in, is the Hebrew way of saying Passover, is similar in many ways. So uh, the core celebration, or the core story at the, at, for Pesach is the Exodus story. So um, Prince of Egypt, <laughs> that's that's Passover. That's Pesach. It's the easiest way to learn about Pesach. It, it, so it's the Exodus story. So you've got um, the Israelites in Egypt enslaved. You've got Moses. Um, you've got Moses going, and after a few attempts um, with the uh, Pharaoh, is finally the Pharaoh says, not not out of generosity, perhaps, but more out of you just giving me the. Eretz, just take just, your stuff and get out of here. I'm sick of all the plagues. I'm sick of all the threats. Just stop fetching and move on. And so off the Israelites go, and there's some great story. And you know, then they wander around for a few years, get a bit lost. And, and all they that sing hundreds. <laughs> yeah, they sing know. wonderful songs that you know are, are replayed in the movie, The Prince of Egypt. <laughs> well, that's they right, made all these great movies. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, <laughs> Charles and Heston, that great too. <laughs> <laughs> Jews in Hollywood. But anyhow, so so back to, to back to Pesach. So, um, and and so that's you know, it's the Exodus story. It's the unleavened bread. And it's all those sorts of things. So that's that's why that's that's part of Pesach. Now, one of the things that a lot of people sort of wonder, if you go to a, a Christian church, the traditional Christian church, and you take Holy Communion, it's this flat bit of bread. And where does that come from? And this, is, this goes back to, was the Last Supper a Passover setter or a Pesach setter? Mm. So what a lot of people don't realize, for Jews... Food at Pesach is difficult. So we're prohibited from eating four different grains. And I'm going to get them wrong because, you know, good Jews always forget which ones they are. The big one is wheat. So. Oh, okay. Yes. We, we've both got our hands up. You had your hand up? No. No, you didn't have your hand no, up. No, okay. No. I wanted to say, I always wondered why we have those little plastic flakes when there are other churches that have actual bread that people bake 
people in the church would bake bread that is the sort of bread you'd eat at a picnic or for breakfast. And some churches just have these little flakes that don't taste anything like bread. I thought that was just because it was a uh, financially viable solution to loaves of bread, having those little round things. Anyway, continue, Mark. (laughs) So, well, the little round things are quite expensive, really, when you think Mm. about it. You can't get them from Coles. They're very specialised. You know, you, but you have to buy them in like packs of ten thousand or something. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, whereas you can just bake your own bread in your in your yeah. in your vicarage and in your manse, and there you go. So a Pesach, wheat, rice, felt, and something else. Um, I'll look it up and tell you, but it doesn't matter. There is ways around it um, if you're Jewish. So they're prohibited grains at Pesach. So the pre- so Jews get rid of all those grains out of their homes. There's a big tradition about um, doing a big. It's a big in the northern hemisphere. It's the big spring clean. So you know you're commanded to go and have a look around. There's a bit of a ritual that goes around at the very start of just before Pesach kicks in about going around the house and finding the last bits of hummus. Rachel has looked it up. What are the four prohibited grains? Professor Google has actually said that there are five. Five. Um, and it's wheat, rye, barley, oats, and spelt. That's right. So, um, and the other thing you'll notice is there's a lot of celebrations about let's carb up before Passover because, you know, no pizzas, <laughs> no bread, no beer, all the good things are life. They're out the door. No breakfast cereals. It's, you know, these are the the you arduous. Have for breakfast if you can't have bread can't or cereal. Think about what I would eat. You can have corn, right? So cornflakes. Can you have cornflakes? No, you can't have corn. And this, there's a no, whole lot of complications carb, no cereals, about this. No corn. Wow. I'm you have g- breakfast? Well, Sorry, maybe that is a distraction, but, you know, food, religion is about food. Religion so. is, oh, especially Judaism. You know, there's got to be a food about it. You do have breakfast. I have to confess, I tend up buying these very expensive imported products, which taste pretty revolting. They usually come in a different variety of colours. Um, <laughs> what, what are they? What are they made I've got of? no idea what they're made of. All you need to know is they're... Koshula Pesach. That's all we're looking for is Koshula Pesach. But I'm going to get, we've got a little bit sidetracked and we're not going to get through why the connection is, but um, I'll just finish up with Pesach and then we'll have a, a song and we can talk about the connection between the two. So Pesach for the Jews is about this exodus. So it's about, once again, it's about redemption. Um, it's celebrated over eight nights. Um, the, the obligation on Jews, it's, it's the second biggest Jewish festival. Pesach, in terms of being observed and celebrated. The biggest would be the High Holy Days, which is um, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, which happen October, September, October, usually. Um, In terms of in Israel, it's considered to be perhaps the most observed of the festivals. It's kind Mm -hmm. of an interesting thing, even though religiously it's probably not the most significant, but that's what it is. So, uh, and and as, as a community, we have what we call the Pesach Seder's We'll go through that on a spirit lounge in a couple of weeks' time. It's basically a meal that has 15 parts. It's very long, um, but we'll do it in an hour. Um, and you can find out a lot about that. The reason why I come to the Pesa, the Seder is really important about the Last Supper, and, and we'll talk about that after the, the song. But just to think about whilst this song goes on, part of the Seder is to you have a cup for the prophet Elijah. Now, in Jewish tradition, the prophet Elijah will welcome in what Jews in modern day call the Messianic era. So in the modern era, Judaism doesn't have a Messiah as such in the in terms of a 
person being thing that just talk about a messianic age. So Elijah brings the messianic age in, um, and therefore there's a cup for Elijah at the center table, and part of the night's events is you go and open the door to, to, in case Elijah happens to be bringing the messianic era. So hmm. think about that. We'll go and have a song. You're listening to the Spirit Lounge on Joy 94.9. What If God Was One of Us? That was by Joan Osborne. Um, and as Claudine was saying before, we're just going to talk like a little bit more about the songs that we play and why we chose them. And that song, I remember it from the 90s, from my childhood, and, and always, like I never really got the lyrics back then, um, but they kind of, battle with the various aspects of God and our earthly connection to God and it questions like what if God had a face like what would God look like and you know what if God was just a stranger on a bus and like we didn't know that it was God and God was just trying to find his way home Um, and kind of yeah deals with imagine if God was also a lonely person that was you know waiting for for things to happen just like the rest of us maybe maybe god would understand us a little bit better and it is a very interesting concept well that that is one of the um one of the christian interpretations is that god you know jesus is god as a in the form of some another lonely silly sod but let's human. be honest jesus wasn't really like the rest of us well it, well in I'm, a fundamental way no but <laughs> but that he that he was you know kind of barefoot random poor or itinerant guy it was true but jesus could also perform miracles and mm. jesus also spoke the word of god uh without having to study it um <laughs> well well wait, he, did, wait. he did study he yes. did study he did study the um jewish scriptures but yeah but he had a connection that direct other channeling didn't. of words um yeah i think it's more like what if God had had been through all the stuff that we go through, and it kind of refers back to last week the uh, video that we watch uh, listened to of Stephen Fry's interview uh, talking about like you know who is this God that created all these awful things? Like, well, what if God experienced all of those awful things firsthand as well? Would that change the way that that God acts? So I don't know. It brings up a lot of questions, I guess. Yeah, possibly like like being being executed for political crimes, for yeah. example. Um, but yeah, go, back to that very topic. Um, going pa- back to this one frequently asked question that that has been occupying us for half an hour, which um, since it takes some people PhDs and books to to cover, um, is is Passover the Jewish Easter or is Easter the Christian Passover? And I was just talking to Mark earlier that. Maybe that interpretation makes a bit more sense because um, in in the Catholic tradition and Catholic and Orthodox tradition, we talk about Jesus as um, as the Passover Lamb, as the new Passover and a new covenant. So um, Judaism is the Jewish people as people who who have had this covenant with God, and Christians believe that we've got. Um, a second covenant, and that was in the form of Jesus. And I used to, as a vegetarian, I used to wonder why um, people ate lamb at Easter, because if if Jesus is the lamb of God, then why are we eating him? But then I thought, but we also say that the communion bread is also the body of Christ, and I'll eat the communion bread, so I guess it's the same thing. I <laughs> thought you were supposed to avoid red meats at Easter. 
Well, at least on Good Friday. Good Friday, Good Friday is Easter is the other side of Good Friday. Easter is the party that comes after the morning. So I did not know that you were supposed to eat lamb, though. I just thought you ate chocolate. Oh, I eat chocolate. I, I don't eat lamb because I'm vegetarian. But at and at the Easter party at church, there was a lot. Of, there was there was real lamb that was carved up and smelt like lamb, and which wasn't my <laughs> favorite thing. And then there was this spectacular marzipan lamb and because marzipan is too sweet for me i didn't eat that either so there was plenty of lamb and i did not take any of it but i had chocolate (laughs) sorry we're getting distracted by food again (laughs) oh look we're talking about pesach you know food is important we're just talking about all these prohibited foods that as jews we can't eat and 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 how difficult it is to find a breakfast cereal that one can eat during Pesach. I suppose the thing is, you should probably have eggs, is really, but you're only having eggs because there's no toast, and certainly as Jews, there's no bacon, oh so you're down to eggs. So it's it's you know it's just <laughs> eggs. I was about to Sounds say the terrible. most stupid thing and be like, what about ham? Oh, it's the same no, animal. Maybe not. Yeah, oh. no, yeah. Ham, hams on. <laughs> Hams on the non, no list, full stop. Ah, salmon. You can have salmon with salmon, your eggs. You can have salmon, that's right. But you can't even have a muffin with it. No? So no, no muffins. Eggs and... Yeah. And anyway. I, have, I have to admit, one of my colleagues really struggled with this whole concept. Um, at work, there was a... Um, I was probably um, Monday, Thursday, and someone had brought in hot cross buns, uh, probably uh, some sort of executive, and there was this big thing, and and this colleague said to me, oh, Mark, have a hot cross bun. And I said, I can't. He said, but they're not religious. I said, no, but it's Passover. And he said, so? And I'm like, well, can't eat bread, buddy. He's like, oh, but it's a hot cross bun. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's still, still bread. bread. <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, so back to is, I think Claudine's right, it, it, is is Easter the Jewish, is the Christian Passover? And, and, and look, it probably does pick up in terms of that. If you look at, um, it part of, you know, if you take a theological perspective, which is to take the belief out of the scenario, and let's look at it from a very scientific way, which is, is, is a bit challenging sometimes. But if you look at Easter and you look at, the, if you look at Christianity, it had to happen at Passover. This has to be, after Passover, this the, the resurrection has to happen after Passover, because mm. when Passover occurs, Elijah. That's when we say Elijah is around. You know, the the cup is at the cedar, um, the door is open as part of the cedar. So it's a logical conclusion that, following from that thought and that process, and if you talk about the early church, it's it's a sect of Judaism. So you've got all your believers, or by and large, certainly in those very very early days, they are probably all Jewish. Um, you get a fair mix fairly quickly, but they're coming from that Jewish understanding, so it has to happen now. If you look at historically about what happens in Jerusalem at this time of year, especially when the Romans were around, so Jerusalem at that time had a population around, let's, as best we can work it out, about 30,000. Passover comes, and it jumps to 70,000 Jews. The Romans brought in three garrisons. They were very anxious that this is the time when the Jews are going to rebel. You know, because they're all gathered, they're all there, it's hype and there's all this sort of stuff. So you have this Jesus character come along. He's probably doing what all good Jews will do at one stage in their life. The last thing you say after the Seder is next time in Jerusalem. That's the final sort of 
part of the Seder next next year in Jerusalem. So he's probably given he's in his late he's a, in his thirties given the time. So he's probably in his latter part of his life. He's been preaching for a little bit of time. So he's probably doing this pilgrimage that all educated Jews would have done at some stage in his time. I just Rachel. want to confirm: is the Seder like a sermon? Like no. The, no. Seder's a 15-part meal. It does go on oh, for some time. It's a meal. It's a meal. So there's a special Seder plate it has where you put all the different parts that goes into the Seder. I'm not going to go into it tonight because we're going to do it in a couple of weeks. We'll actually go through – we're not going to go through all – we'll go through a very <laughs> abbrevi- – probably the really f- – most Jews would be happy if we could do it in an hour. But we're not um, going to actually eat. We're not, gonna, we're, we're not going to eat in the not, studio. That's not allowed. That's not part of what we're going to do. We're not going to be having the four cups of wine that goes with it. Cause oh, it, oh, we could do that outside the studio. <laughs> <laughs> so there's all sorts of stuff that goes with it. So, so anyhow, so going back to the... So it, it all sort of makes sense that if, if this is what Jesus' ministry... He's probably arguably an itinerant rabbi, which just means teacher. So at the time, he's one of... He's not actually unique at the time. There was a large group of... Semi to very educated Jewish preachers wandering around. They do a bit of a spiel. They get up in synagogues. It's the sort of normal practice. So he's probably one of those. Gets to Jerusalem. It's the big show. And arguably, that's when you could say that the Last Supper is a, is a seder. So, and in terms of the bread and the wine, they form a central part. Uh, we have, um, I've lost, lost uh, matzah is the is the bread, which. Looks like that traditional yeah. Christian communion bread. Communion yeah. bread. Little it's actually tastier. <laughs> I'm not so as tastier. Maybe we should introduce that back into church. Yeah, it's tastier. Uh, matzah is basically bread that's cooked in it from starting to make it to finishing making it is 18 minutes by Jewish law. Wow. So it's quick. That is so, very wow. fast. So it's flat. You can buy it. Like if you go to um, the Jewish quarter in Melbourne. There will be literally truckloads of this stuff hanging around waiting for the Jewish population to buy it. So that's what it is. So in terms of picking up the wine and the bread as part of this new covenant, which is is what becomes the communion, the Eucharist in the Christian tradition, it picks up a lot of that symbolism from the Seder and takes it forward into a new covenant which the existing covenant is, is is that direct relationship between the Jewish people and and God, or um, that's a, a one way of interpreting it. Or it's actually a, um, if you look at it from a Jewish perspective, it's actually a um, obligation on the Jewish people from God. It's a kind of different way of looking at it. And the the Easter service starts off by hearing the um, scriptural stories about the first covenant. We hear about creation and about Noah and about Moses and the Exodus and and the new and the covenant with Moses and um, and then it continued to on to hearing about Jesus as in this is the continuation of the story that's how it's seen in in that context so it's so it's definitely aware of the the sort of origins oh absolutely it, it certainly picks up on all that sort of belief and that that's but Christianity doesn't never hidden this it's not like this is some sort of great revelation Christianity has always said that they've it comes out of Judaism and goes forward in this new that the Messiah has come and redemption is via the Messiah, which is a foreign concept now in Judaism um, because there's no new covenant. So that so in terms of going back to Michelle's question, you would actually you could say that um, Easter is the Christian Passover. And I don't think that's too big a jump to make. <laughs> but the other way, it's it's 
they've gone totally different paths over time. And that was Another Day in Paradise by Phil Collins. And both Claudine and myself thought about that song for tonight's show. So obviously it was meant to be. Uh, Another Day in Paradise touches on a story of a man crossing the road to avoid a homeless woman and turning a blind eye. The lyrics Another Day in Paradise is reference to this. So being blissfully unaware of the world's problems by living in your own paradise. He goes on to sing, Oh Lord, is there nothing more anybody can do? Oh Lord, there must be something you can say. Uh, Bringing religious tone into this song. So we're still talking about FAQs. We finally got through our first question. But I actually thought of a question. Um, It wasn't related to anything that was said. Is it going to take 45 minutes? No. Hopefully this this is a quick one. Um, Potentially the thing that I had written underneath it, which then could go into something else. But Mark, I wanted to know why Jewish people cover their hair. Oh, that's that's an easy... Well, it's an easy one, but it's not an easy one. Um... So what it's, it's the short answer or the long answer? Let's have the short answer. Well, the reason why Jewish people cover their hair is it's a tradition. <laughs> Stemming from well, well, that's the big question that no one knows the answer of. So it is literally just a tradition. So it's called a, a minhag. So it's a tradition or a, a, a something that's practiced in a particular area. Um, it relates to. Um, Jewish men in particular, so um, all Jewish men cover their... Or no, I shouldn't say Jewish men, but... So if you go to a synagogue um, as a male or somebody who would be... who identifies as a male, it's the same, um, is expected to cover their head. You don't mm-hmm. need to wear... Most people would wear... The, the common one is a kippara yamakul, which is the, the small circular skull cap, but you can wear a hat. Mm-hmm. Wear a scarf if you want to. Um, for women, um, now I know less about this, but for women, if you are married, in the same tradition as Islamic women, you actually cover your hair. So Orthodox women wear, by and large, most of them would wear wigs. Yeah, I have heard um, that, which I found very interesting. Yeah, now I'm not sure what the tradition is there. I'd have to take that one as a question or notice. It's not something I know a lot about. Mm-hmm. But in terms of why do, we, why do Jewish men wear kippah, it, it is a tradition. The, the rabbis, in their infinite wisdom, have attributed some um, religious aspects to it to try and give it some meaning, I suppose. Um, it is a little bit about identification, but it's also a reminder that um, in Jewish tradition, God is everything, everywhere. Every God is just everything and everywhere. And so it's a reminder that God is always with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and for for a lot of Jewish men, that's a, it sort of... Because most of the time you don't know it's even on there, but every now and again, um, most of them are held on with some sort of clip, or the clip will sort of grab at your hair, and it's a reminder that, you know, that's that little, it's that little reminder that just reminds you that God's everywhere with you, there and you that's go. why a lot of Jewish men would wear a kippah. It's it, it and you know, in terms of the synagogue, all men. So if you came and visit a synagogue, which you, you know, they're not secret squirrel business, um, you know, a, a, there are kippah for men to wear. At the front, and you're expected. All men are expected to cover their heads. If you go where I go to synagogue, some women choose to embrace that tradition. We're egalitarian, so um, Rabbi Etlinger Kim wears kippah. I'm not sure whether she wears it 
a head covering all the time, but certainly most of the time. Yeah. Um, she likes hats too, so <laughs> does the same purpose. Um, so, yeah, so it's just a tradition that we've Maybe embraced. this is something that we can look into as well because there are other religions as well that do this. So, obviously, Muslim women uh, cover their hair. Muslim men do the same. Yep, and um, Sikh. So, uh, Sikh men wear... A turban. a turban on their heads, which is covering their hair, essentially. So there may be a link way, way back well, in, that we can look and, into. Um, you know, in, in the Catholic tradition, women would have to cover their heads in church and men oh, wouldn't. So yes. Is that why hats in church is a is thing? That's one variant of it. Another is is um, a hat or a scarf. Or, and um, nuns. Now I don't that, know if it's the same, but no? I mean, there's a whole lot of... Yeah, I mean, there's probably a different... Um, maybe similar but not entirely the same meanings and maybe some of it might actually be to do with the weather and protecting your head from the desert sun but that may be just a bit too mundane and sometimes we have a mundane thing that we do and we add a religious religious interpretation to it yeah. but I think I think I hear a, um, a special show on religion and clothing coming up because yeah. I think there's a lot to, <laughs> to cover in there's that. There's an awful lot in that that yeah. ilk. Especially the Sikh turban is part of four... Four or five, yeah. Four or there's, five there's symbols the, um, of, of, of... Yeah. The there's Sikhs the dagger carrying. as well, which yeah. I find fascinating. Um, so there's a whole show there for us in the future. And you are on the Spirit Lounge on Joy 94.9 with Claudine, Mark and Rachel. We did get a message through from Clayton saying, On Another Day in Paradise and that theme, I love If It Were Me by Mel C. So we'll put that on our playlist for next week. We're now taking requests. We're we, now taking music requests. So. We sure are. Yeah. Let us know any time. Um, so uh, coming up next is The Woods, and it's a big goodbye from Claudine, Mark, and myself. But we are going out with another song for tonight. Sorry, guys, I, I stole your, your thunder. You can speak for us. <laughs> this song is called Ain't No Rest for the Wicked by Cage the Elephant. Cage the Elephant, which is the name of the band. The, anyway, long story behind that. Um, but it does talk about a preacher in the third verse, and I thought it was relevant and it's very catchy. So this is Ain't No Rest for the Wicked by Cage the Elephant. You've been listening to The Spirit Lounge on Joy 94.9. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.